I want to call your attention now to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6. We began looking at this chapter last Lord's Day. It's a long chapter, and we'll be considering it, Lord willing, for several more weeks to come. John, chapter 6. And let us read, beginning at verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. And may God bless the reading of Holy Scripture to our hearts today. Instead of getting some much-needed rest on the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, our Lord and the twelve disciples could not long avoid the demand of the public for attention and for help. Jesus and his disciples descend from this hill where they were resting to the grassy plain that at that time of year, at Passover season, would be the most uh, verdant time for grass. In fact, Mark's account tells us that the grass was green. And our Lord taught them many things, it says, 
in the other gospel accounts as we compare it all together. And he healed many that were sick. Now, we're focusing on John's account of this matter. But as we draw from Matthew, Mark, and Luke and their accounts also, we arrive at a sequence of events, something like this. Perhaps our Lord had this exchange with Philip uh, in verse 5 early on. As the multitude came and as Jesus and the disciples came down to greet them, Jesus sees this company coming and says to Philip, Where will we buy bread that these may eat? And uh, in verse 7, Philip's answer was 200 penny worth. How much is that? Well, if according to another passage of Scripture, a day's wages was what's called a penny, the, the coin that, that is designated as a penny, then this is, a, this is 200 days' wages. This is over six months of earnings that it would take to feed this large group of people. And that wouldn't even be enough for them all to be filled. It would be just enough for each of them to have a little bit to kind of tide them over, Philip says. Then perhaps between verse 7 and verse 8 is the the time frame in which the Lord spent no doubt hours speaking, teaching, answering questions, explaining things, and then healing the sick. And then after that, Jesus, as the day grows on and the sun begins to get low, Jesus turns to the disciples and says, you all give them something to eat now. And Jesus asks, what food is on hand? Andrew answers, and I paraphrase here, there's a young boy who has five little pancakes. That's kind of what the loaves would be like, a small flat piece of bread and two small dried fish. But that's as good as nothing in the face of all these thousands that are hungry. We might as well not have anything as have that it would be an insult to set that little bit before thousands of hungry people upon which Jesus gives these instructions have everyone sit down by groups of 50 and 100 that allowed for orderly distribution of food as well as a uh, the ability to give 
a good head count of how many were there, which was 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Then our Lord takes these few pieces of bread and fish, prays to the Father in heaven, giving thanks, asking his blessing, and then he gives to the disciples, and the disciples give to the groups of fifties and hundreds, and as our Lord distributes to the disciples, and perhaps the disciples uh, engaged others to make for a speedy distribution. It would have taken quite a while for 12 men to do it all by themselves. But whatever the case, a most marvelous miracle took place. As the Lord gave out the bread, the bread did not diminish. As the Lord gave out the fish, the fish did not diminish. One old writer says it this way, there was a strange kind of arithmetic that occurred here. Division became multiplication and subtraction became addition. And all of the people, thousands and thousands, gladly received the food. You know, you wonder if some of them that were far away didn't even uh, become aware immediately. Uh, Maybe they were told later of, of where the food came from. And they were all filled. Everyone had all they wanted. As it says at the end of verse 11, they they ate as much as they would. They ate as much as they could hold. And you have to wonder, maybe some of them wanted seconds. Some of them may have wanted thirds. Some of them may have overestimated how much they wanted and and you know, as we say, bit off more than they could chew. And so Jesus says, gather up the leftovers so as not to waste anything. And they filled, it says, 12 baskets full. There is a Jewish custom that I read of that says that at a meal, some food would be kept and reserved for those who were doing the serving. And so perhaps that's the significance here of 12 baskets for 12 disciples. This was a most remarkable miracle. And though Jesus did raise the dead on three occasions, some say that in a way this is even... The greatest miracle of all, because it was so public and it involved so many people, over 5,000, well over 5,000, it is the only miracle that Christ performed during his public ministry that is recorded in all four Gospels. 
And there's significance in that. So what are we to learn from this amazing event? Well, I want to approach it from the perspective of the individuals involved, the people who were on the scene there that day and witnessed that event. And so we begin, first of all, with Jesus. He is the the main character in the story. And we want to see several things by way of application from looking at our Lord here first and foremost. Let us behold his heart of compassion. Now, before he fed the people, again, comparing with the other parallel accounts, he spent the great amount of time teaching them and healing their sick. His priority was along those lines, but he did not ignore their need even for food, for daily bread. After all, as a man, the Lord Jesus knew the pain of hunger, didn't he? After his baptism, he was tempted by the devil, and for that period of time of 40 days, he did not eat food. He knew what it was to be hungry. He considered with a heart of compassion the need of these people. He knew how far they had walked that day, and some of them women and children, some of them sick people, walking a distance of about 10 miles, probably over some pretty rough trails, crossing the Jordan River. He knew the hours that they had spent patiently listening to him. And as a good shepherd, he would not send the sheep away hungry. Here is the good shepherd at work, providing for the needs of the flock. This is an example to us of compassion. It was an example to the disciples. You know, the disciples at first said, Lord, send them away. They've been here a long time. The sun's going to set. Before dark, we need to send them on, get rid of them. And our Lord says, let them stay and let's give them some food. Oh, what a heart of compassion we see in our Lord here. Let us who know him be likewise compassionate, considerate of the needs of others and of the suffering of others, and truly love our neighbor as ourselves, as we are called to do. Behold, moreover, the power of Christ on display here. And that is at the forefront. You can't miss it. Here is a mighty miracle that was wrought by power that is beyond us. Power that can only come from heaven. He did what was beyond the thought 
or expectation of anyone there. These disciples who were familiar with with the Old Testament scriptures and how that God provided manna miraculously in the days of Moses and so on, it did not occur, it did not cross their minds that Jesus might miraculously feed this multitude. It was not even imaginable. Well, our Lord certainly proved his deity here. Who but God could do such a miracle as this? Let us then behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let us recognize in Jesus of Nazareth, yes, a real man, but much more than a real man. God in the flesh. Let us not doubt his identity as the Son of God in human flesh for our redemption. His many miracles, His many displays of extraordinary divine power. And right here with thousands of witnesses, who could deny this? In all of this we see proof of His divine power and His deity. Let us behold also the thankful heart of Christ as he gives thanks, it says there in verse 11, for the food before he distributed it to the disciples and the disciples to the people. He pauses, bows his head, and prays before the meal. Let us learn to do the same. Let us always Be thankful for God's daily bread provisions for us. And eat with thankful hearts and express that thanks. And I know out in the world there are sometimes scenes and occasions where we cannot make a public kind of prayer. But let us certainly pray in our hearts. There have been saints in ages past who, I'm thinking of one in particular, Stonewall Jackson. He said he never so much as raised a glass of water to drink without first expressing thanks to God in his heart. Oh, that we might have that kind of thankful heart. Let us behold the frugality of Jesus. He would not let good food go to waste. And so we see his perfection here that he was not a waster. There is a proverb that says, he also that is faithful in his work. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. The lazy person is very close akin to the wasteful person. Well, we should be neither lazy nor wasteful. And the Lord Jesus is a model to us of not being lazy but being very industrious.
and very economical. Let us not waste any of the resources that God has given us. Let us gather up the fragments that remain of whether it be food or time or opportunities or or material things. And the fact that they ended up with more than they started with is in itself a proof that what happened here this day was undoubtedly miraculous. You know, those who embrace liberal theology, they're always trying to find some rational explanation rather than a miraculous biblical explanation for things like this. And so back when when liberal theology was really at its heyday, there were some who said, well, the people had really brought little supplies of food with them. It's just that the disciples couldn't see it. And so, you know, when everybody actually pulled out the little, uh, you know, food that was in their pocket, it, it was actually enough for everyone to, to eat a little bit. Where did the 12 baskets come from <clears throat> full of food? Others have said, well, this illustrates the power of suggestion that, you know, you can kind of psychologically manipulate people and say, now, you're not really hungry, are you? You, you really feel full, don't you? Well, yeah, yeah. And they, they go along with the suggestion. And that's, that explains for the, the, the fullness of the people here. Well, those who are determined to deny the word of God will always come up with some alternative explanation. I would rather believe the word of God. And by the way, if the Roman Catholic theologians find in this passage The, uh, the, the, the reason for seven sacraments that they hold to, it's right here. Can't you see it? <laughs> Five loaves, two fish, seven. And so that's why we have, they say, seven sacraments. Well, if you're going to interpret the Bible that way, you can come up with most anything just according to the how active your imagination is. <clears throat> we must hasten on here. Let us behold in our Lord Jesus the, a picture here of the gospel feast spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. In these words, Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. 
Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Here is bread for the hungry. Here is Christ as the bread of life, and we'll see much more about that here in in future messages from this chapter, Lord willing. But here's the bread of life in abundant supply for starving hearts to feast upon and to be filled with. And the many leftovers suggest the idea of abundance of grace, abundance of mercy. My dear friend, do you believe on the Lord Jesus? Do you feed on Him as the bread of life? Do you take Him in and receive life and spiritual nourishment from Him? That's the, 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 what we see illustrated in this great miracle. In Him alone is salvation. He alone can satisfy hungry hearts. He cannot be bought. He can only be freely received by faith. Do you believe on Him? Well, moving on here. Let's consider the multitudes, thousands of people. There's some things we need to learn from them. At the beginning, they were needy, desperate, and unworthy. Did they somehow earn the feeding that they received this day? Of course not. It was purely mercy and compassion on the part of our Lord that provided food for them. They had nothing with which to barter. Likewise, all of us in our sinful state are needy and desperate and unworthy. We are needy in our sins with no help from any earthly Resources. We have no resources of our own. We are desperate before God, for we must die in our sins unless He in His grace intervenes. And we are unworthy that the Son of God should come to earth to save us, that He should have such compassion upon our souls. And that he would die the death of the cross to secure our salvation, to secure the pardon of our sins, to secure eternal life, a right standing with God and all of the blessings of grace that come to us from him. We see ourselves in this multitude. May God help us to see ourselves all the way through. Because having eaten, 
they were fully satisfied. Again, verse 11, they ate as much as they would. And every believer here today can testify that Christ fully satisfies the soul. We find in him all that we ever needed. We find in him all that we ever wanted. And we are ashamed that it took us so long to come to that point. We are ashamed that we ever looked elsewhere for only what he can give and what he only can do as a redeemer of our souls as the one who gives life and gives us himself as the bread of life. And this multitude afterward was convinced that Jesus was the prophet of whom Moses spoke. And we see that in, in verse 14, and we'll just read it here. We'll, we'll pick up at this and, and say more about this next time, Lord willing. But it says, Those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. What they're saying amounts to this. This is the Messiah. This is the one that Moses told us was going to come. This is he. There's no doubt about it. Oh, that their understanding of his salvation and his kingdom had been properly uh, informed. But as we'll see, it was not. But at least at this point, they declare him to be the Savior, the Messiah. Let us then also recognize Jesus for who he is as the Son of God, the promised Savior, prophesied throughout the Old Testament times, all fulfilled in his coming to this earth for our redemption. Let us see in him our all in all the Savior who came into the world to save sinners. Let us trust in him. Let us consider now, thirdly, the twelve disciples. They are players in this story as well. We've seen two of them here mentioned by name, Philip and Andrew, and on both occasions, no doubt, Philip and Andrew said verbally, what the others were thinking in their hearts, but didn't say. Philip says, in response to the question, notice uh, the, uh, the question to Philip in verse 5 is, where, whence, from where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Philip doesn't even answer Christ's question, where to buy? He doesn't tell him, you know, where the market is, where the nearest grocery store is. He tells him, we don't even have the money. It doesn't matter where it's for sale. We don't have the money to buy. And then Andrew says something even more uh, profound. 
when he says in verse 9, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Yes, I expect the other disciples were thinking the same thing. What's this little bit? We've kind of looked around. We've, we've seen that nobody brought any food. There's this one young boy that's got a little bit here, brought a little snack with him. But what is that? What worth is that? What good is that? Among so many hungry people. Well, the Lord here knew that these disciples needed a test. They needed a proving. It says there in verse 6, This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. The compassion of these disciples needed to be tested and increased. Their faith in Jesus needed to be tested and increased. Does our faith need to be tested and increased? Does our compassion need to be tested and increased also? Our compassion on the lost as well as compassion one for another. Well, let us consider the mighty works of Christ, such as this, that our faith in him and our likeness to him in way of compassion might be increased. Something else to learn from these disciples is simple obedience. From the way that the wording is given to us here, after the disciples, or Andrew in particular, expresses utter futility and hopelessness, the next thing is our Lord says, have the people sit down in an orderly way here. And you wonder, what was going on in the mind of Andrew and the others? We don't read that any of them put up an argument and said, Now, Lord, what's going on here? Why are you telling us to do this? Evidently, they just did what Jesus told them to do. And that, I say, is a good example for us. Perhaps they were puzzled, confused. They didn't know what he was going to do. He was the only one who knew what he was going to do. His his divine omniscience informed him as a man of what he would do. But instead of arguing and saying, this is a waste of, of time, why bother the people need to go? They did as the Lord commanded. And beloved, it is not our duty to understand what he's doing or to be able to explain what he's doing. It is our duty to do what he's given us to do. And this is a good example to us of that. Let us do 
whatever God in his word has told us to do, even though we don't understand what the outcome will be or where it will lead. He knows, but we don't know. But we must obey his commands and leave the result with him. One last thing about the disciples here is this. They had a great privilege here of ministering food from the hands of Christ to the hands of the people. It passed through their hands. And there's a beautiful picture here of carrying the gospel, relaying the gospel, which we have received from the hands of Christ and which has benefited our souls. And we desire and and have the privilege of passing it on, distributing it to others. It's the privilege of every evangelist, whether in the pulpit or in the home or on the job or in the marketplace or wherever that you have an opportunity Believers are stewards of the gospel. It's been entrusted to us, and now we must pass it on. You think about it for a moment, and you realize that Christ could have fed the multitudes through some other means of distribution. He could have brought down a flock of gulls and carried the food from the beaks of the gulls to the hungry people. He fed Elijah that way with the raven. But our Lord wanted to use the disciples to distribute it. It was a great honor and privilege for them. Let us likewise understand that Christ could work without human agency. But he loves to use human agency he loves to use a human instrument and let us rejoice to have the privilege of being an instrument in his hand it is a joy and and we benefit from it it's good for us thank the lord now there's one last character here and i've Saved him for last because sometimes he's put first. And that's this young boy. Perhaps too much has been made of him as if he were the main character rather than Christ. But on the other hand, we dare not leave him out. There's, there's something for us to learn from this boy. As far as how he got there or whether he came with the multitude or was separate from the multitude is hard to say, but I tend to think that because he was the only one with food that probably he lived nearby and was not traveling over from the other shore with the rest of the multitude. Whatever the case, we must assume that he willingly gave his little bit of food to Jesus. It would not be in keeping with the character of our Lord 
to take this boy's food by force from him. Although I'm sure the headline the next day in the local newspaper said something like this, traveling evangelist from Galilee takes food out of the mouth of children. End of story. But you think about this young lad. What could he do with his food? We don't know how old he was. He's young. But he's old enough to realize that if he sits there in front of 5,000 people who are hungry and is the only one eating, that that's going to be awkward. He did the very best thing he possibly could have by giving his little snack to Jesus. Did he go hungry because of it? You know, if maybe when we get to heaven we'll find the answer to this question, but I would dare to say that he ate more than five loaves and two small fishes that day. No one is a loser by giving to Jesus. He will see to it that you are rewarded abundantly. Let us not selfishly hoard what God has given us, but because He is the one who's given it to us, let us willingly and gladly offer it to Him. And He is able to take our little and use it beyond our wildest expectation. That boy had no idea when he carried that food in that day what was going to become of it. He had no idea when he gave it to Jesus what was going to become of it. Nor do we know when we give something to him, our time, our attention, our energy, yes, our money, our witness, We never know how he may take it and use it beyond our wildest expectation. This this is part of the joy of serving the Lord and the romance of serving the Lord. You never know what he's going to do. But just as the disciples had the privilege of being involved in, in this miracle, so did this young boy. Let us never think for a moment that what we have is so little and insignificant that it cannot be used for God in some way. Let us not draw back and say, well, I don't want to insult him with my little bit. All that I have amounts to nothing. What are these few among so many? No, our Lord will be insulted if we withhold 
from him our little. And of course, Jesus could have turned stones into bread if he'd wanted. He could have brought water out of the rock if he'd wanted. But our Lord's plan and purpose here was to take bread and fish from this young boy and feed the multitudes. What a privilege for that young boy then. And let us count it a privilege again for the Lord to use what we have and what we are able to give in any way for his glory. Let us be willing instruments, willingly give of ourselves and our substance for him. Well, thus we see in these various characters many things to learn. And I hope that we see a picture of the gospel above all. And we'll see more of that explained here in the chapter. Let me close with this thought. Who went hungry that day? Well, according to what we read, it doesn't sound like anybody went hungry. Everybody was filled. But just for the sake of illustration, who went hungry that day? Only those who refused to eat. Only those who looked around and said, well, there's not enough food here. Maybe they recognize that none of us have brought anything and Here's this boy with with a little snack with him that there's you know I'm not going to bother There's not enough And who will leave hungry here today in their soul But those who look at Christ and look at his Salvation, and they say in one way or another, there's not enough. It's not for me. I'm not going to eat of the bread of life. And, and they come up with any number of lame excuses for starving to death spiritually. Oh, my friend. Receive the bread of life. Receive Christ himself. There's no reason not to. There's every reason to come to him.